Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Before we turn to your essential political analysis for this week, I want to tell you about our wonderful partners at The Resident, where all rooms are designed to combine pure comfort with quintessential British style and design. Whether you're escaping to London for a romantic break or visiting the city with friends and family, there's no better place to stay in the heart of the neighbourhood without The Resident, you might not get to experience London and... Without The Resident, we wouldn't be here on Whitehall Sources. Whitehall Sources, your essential, essential politics podcast, is brought to you in association with The Resident. successfully um, onboarded the first cohort today and there are 15 people on board. Um, we have had um, a few challenges but this is part of a, an ongoing structured process to bring um, a cohort of up to 500 people on board. Um, there have been some challenges, some minor legal challenges and I can't go into the detail of those but we are, um, all accommodation is offered to all individuals on a no choice basis so um, we are looking at how to manage that going forward. Hello and welcome to Whitehall Sources. I'm Callum McDonald. We're recording on Wednesday the 9th of August. I say we because also here is Kirsty Buchanan, former special advisor to Theresa May when she was Prime Minister. Hello, Kirsty. Good morning to you. I texted you about this, but I want to say it on the podcast too. My friend James from school, who I hadn't spoken to properly for a very long time, called the other day and uh, we had a lovely catch up and hopefully we're going to see each other soon. But he also said the reason he'd called, really, was because he'd accidentally stumbled across Whitehall Sources. It was recommended to him. And, um, you know, despite us being friends since the age of, what, 12 or 13, the uh, the, the comment he had was, well, Kirsty's absolutely brilliant. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I entirely agree with you. <laughs> and it's nice to chat, James. And then I hung up the phone. No, I didn't. We had a big, long chat. Uh, so there you are. <laughs> 
Uh, nice. Hello to James. I hope you. I hope you subscribed. Actually, I didn't check that. Yeah, <laughs> James has clearly grown up to be a man of discerning good taste. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so here we are. Thanks for being with us on Whitehall Sources. Whether you just discovered us last week, as James did, or whether you've been here for a long old time, we're very, very grateful. This podcast brings you inside the decision makers, the rooms, the offices where it happens, with those who have lived it and breathed it. Uh, we've got Kirsty Buchanan here, of course, um, who is second to none when it comes to political analysis. Um, we are going to talk a lot about stopping the boats. It's Stop the Boats Week this week. Um, we've been covering it a lot on Times Radio. I'm doing the Drive programme this week, in addition to the usual breakfast programme, which is very fun. Uh, so I'm enjoying doing that. But yeah, it's, it's kind of dominating the week, this, Kirsty. It's, it's an interesting one because it is August, and traditionally for sort of political news and things, things slow down a bit in August. But I suppose in some ways that leaves a gap for government to ramp up these sort of themed weeks where there are... Um, several announcements, one after the other. So we had the Bibby Stockholm, this is the barge, where up to 500 men are going to be housed, is housed, accommodated is perhaps a better word, um, on the barge for sort of three to six months while their asylum claims um, culminate, while they're supposed to be reaching the end of their of the process. Uh, the first residents moved in to the Bibby Stockholm barge on Monday. Then on Tuesday, we had... Well, an announcement of sorts of a clampdown on lawyers who might be gaming the system to help asylum seekers fraudulently have their asylum requests accepted slash processed. But I'm not sure how much of an announcement it was. The Law Society of England and Wales kind of said, there's nothing new here. This task force has existed for quite a while. The laws, the powers have existed for quite a while. Uh, In any case, it is Stop the Boats Week, the themed week. Um, how's it going for Rishi Sunak and the government in your analysis? Hmm. <laughs> hmm, yeah. is my analysis. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I oomed between ne and hmm. Uh, look, so so for those that, that, that are a bit uh, confused about this whole, what is this energy week last week, small boats week this week, the whole of government communications... Uh, is driven centrally by number 10, by something that they call the grid. (laughs) Um, And there are various different levels on the grid, right? So you'll go from, like, the main stories, which are the ones that drive who they put up for broadcast rounds, etc. And then they'll sort of cascade down, you know, various different levels of other stories in, in order of kind of priority and importance. But the thing that holds the top of the news agenda as emanates from government, is is uh, quite often these themed weeks. Um, I'm a little bit kind of baffled in some senses as to why Downing Street seems to be so keen to expose the kind of grid to this t- last week is energy week, mm. this week is small grid week, and expose the kind of, you know, the, the, the way the grid works, if you see what I mean. I, it, you know, I, I find that a kind of curious thing. I'm not entirely sure what the thinking is behind that. I'm even less certain about what the strategic aim is, is focusing on what at the moment by any measure is wholesale policy mm. failure. Um, you know, the aim of of government is to, you know, is quite obviously to, you know, to promote government in its best light, um, and you know, spin uh, you know, spin out what is working, uh, not to have an entire week <laughs> devoted to what is self-evidently not working. Uh, I can only assume 
that this is driven by polling and focus grouping that shows that, you know, that there is some credit being given to the government to be seen to be trying um, uh, and willing the, you know, the means as well as willing, winning, willing the ends. Uh, I assume that is what the strategic kind of perceived advantages of this. However, the more you highlight uh, these kind of issues, the more you're just exposing to the public, no matter how much you say that you're trying, how self-evidently you are failing. Mm. Um, And the more you open up the argument about whether actually, you know, not just are you failing, but is the way that you're trying to fix the problem even the right way forward anyway? So I find the whole uh, small boats thing uh, a little bit peculiar from that kind of strategic comms point of view. It's uh, And particularly in August, where there's so much else, there's very little else, sorry, going on, uh, that it actually flags and focuses this. They've put people, you know, they've put the Justice Secretary up uh, this week, Alex Chalk, interesting way to spend your 47th birthday doing a broadcast yeah, round. that's right, it was um, And they... Yeah, uh, you know, and they had Rob Jenrick up today. So, you know, they clearly think that there is some, uh, you know, electoral uh, gain to be had for this. But uh, it is a, for me, it's a bit of a tightrope one. Mm. Um, As much as you're highlighting your determination to succeed, you're also highlighting at the moment your significant inability to do so. Yeah. Shall we, so you mentioned Robert Jenrick. So first of all, today's announcement, Wednesday's announcement, is a deal with Turkey to crack down on people smugglers. So in terms of what you're saying there about the grid, Kirsty, I mean, they are announcing things each day. Um, Let's go back to Monday and the Bibby Stockholm barge, first of all, at this point. So the first residents moved in. I have to say this was against the backdrop of speculation that good weather this week might actually increase the number of people crossing the English Channel in small boats, which is a wonderful irony for Stop the Boats Week. Um, I just wonder <laughs> if if basically all of these announcements in some way are 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 hiding the, the reality, which is the massive backlog. And the reality is you wouldn't need to spend millions of pounds a day on hotels. You wouldn't need to buy barges to put asylum seekers in if the backlog didn't exist in the first place. And that's the underlying issue here, which I, I suppose is... There are superficial announcements around dealing with that. But have we got at that yet? Have, they, have we got at dealing with the backlog? Uh, not at all. Look, so you're, you're right. The, the announcements we've had this week are, you know, uh, relatively speaking, uh, a handful of uh, asylum seekers have been uh, uh, put on Bibby Stockholm. Uh, there, then there was, uh, I think, uh, an announcement about tackling... You know, lawyers that are coaching people, you know, what to say. There was a great fuss about one of the people being put on Bibby Stockholm saying he was uh, frightened of water. Mm. Uh, and everyone threw their arms up and said, oh, you know, we didn't stop him coming over on a small boat. Well, he didn't come over on a small boat, came over by plane. Exactly, yeah. Uh, facts. <laughs> Real facts, let's let real facts get in the way of uh, polarised debate, um, by all means. Uh, and then we have this uh, deal today, uh, uh, returns agreement on with Turkey, which actually out of the three is probably the most important, mm. uh, albeit a relatively small fry measure. Just as a aside, I think, it, I think it, it did make me smile this morning because I think it was Rob Jenerick during COVID that was 
uh, put up on one of those endless Downing Street press conferences to announce a load of PPE coming from Turkey. Was it? Oh, uh, yes. Am I right on that? That sounds right. Um, only, only for it to turn out to be a, a total fiasco. Um, uh, so that kind of just, as an aside, made me smile. Um, but, but, but actually, all three of these announcements, all they show to me is like, uh, you know, it's all twiddly, fiddly, bibbly stuff. I mean, none mm. of it, um, none of it addresses the systemic problem that, that lies underneath, which you've correctly identified is is about the backlog. So you know how I like to do research for white horses. Yes, take I love my it. job as a podcast extremely seriously <laughs> so i have been looking at a couple of reports one uh from policy exchange which is a uh center right think tank and one from british future which is a center left think tank which is run by um uh, Sundar Katwala, who used to run the fabian society mm. um and they have both put forward um uh very comprehensive uh, suggestions about how to have a controlled, robust, but fair and humane system. Um, and I've been looking at sort of some of the synergies around that. Um, and so if you may indulge me for a minute while Always. I bombard Always. you with some with some factoids, <laughs> factoids coming at you like asteroids. <laughs> so, little game, first of all. Right, yeah, go on. Just, just to give an emphasis on when we're talking about the scale of the crisis. In 2019, how many migrant crossings were there uh, coming over the channel crossings. in the year of 2019? I'm going to say, let's go for a round number, 10,000. OK, right. So this is, the, this is the migrant crossings, the small boats that we hear so tediously much about. 1,900. Wow. The figure in 2022 was 45,756. Gosh. So the government, you know, rightly, to be fair to the government, identifies this as a crisis. Uh, just before we get anything else twisted on this, you know, migrant crossings aren't run by lovely people no. doing, you know, a good public service. They are uh, run by traffickers who uh, make money out of the desperation and misery of people um, within that time frame of 2019 uh, to 2022, 50 people uh, are missing, presumed dead, mm. uh, as a result of trying to get to this country. So, look, you know, this isn't just a sort of uh, red wall, you know, appeal, dog whistly kind of issue. It's a matter of, you know, people's lives and a matter of cracking down on a vile business uh, that uh, that traffics in human misery. So, mm -hmm. look, it's perfectly fair to, to, to tackle that. But just to give you, you know, an idea about this, and bear in mind, obviously, that some some of the migrant crossings are just simply people coming here to work. They are not legitimate asylum seekers, but some of them are. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when they get here, we we have a massive, 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 massive backlog in processing applications. Right. By the end of September 2022, just 7% of asylum seekers' applications had been processed within six months. 7%. That left 120,300 people waiting for a decision on an initial application. Now, bear in mind that all those asylum seekers who are waiting for their applications to be processed are unable to work in this country. 
So they are sitting in, you know, Bibby Stockholm or a hotel somewhere, you know, for month after month after month um, and sometimes into years at an enormous cost to the taxpayer, uh, at enormous strain on social cohesion and, you know, I would presume quite an enormous strain on their own mental well-being as well. At the same time, we have a, you know, a literally a labour crisis in this country, a shortage of people to do jobs, and yet we are quite literally paying millions and millions and million pounds a day to house people who could work, who probably want to work, but we won't let them. Um, so, you know, and t- Policy Exchange estimates that the entire cost a year of housing the asylum seekers, because of the massive backlog that we have, mm. is two point two billion pounds a year so in other words we are spending three and a half times more money housing people to sit around and do nothing than we are spending on housing the homeless um so another quick fact for you yeah uh in 2011 we voluntarily or involuntarily deported 10,400 and 89 people whose applications had failed. In 2021, how many voluntary or enforced removals do you think we had? So from nearly 10,500, by the tone of the question, I'm going to suggest it's gone down to, let's say it halved, Mm -hmm. to about 5,000. Because halving is a good... 816. 816. So at the same time as we have a massive, massive growth in a backlog of applications, we have a complete collapse in our returns, mm. which is why I say of the three um, uh, of the three announcements, small fry though they may be, the turkey one is actually at, at least meaningful. Um, and, you know, it is important to remind people as well that we one of the most important things we did around small boats was get a returns agreement with Albania quite a lot. I think one in 10 of the of the people coming over on on the small boats over the channel were uh, young Albanian men looking for work. Albania is not, uh, you know, is, is not a sort of a country where people need to seek asylum in Britain from. Uh, so that agreement was good. So we've got... You know, we've got government chasing, you know, headlines around having a pop at lawyers and, you know, bibbly little headlines about Bibi Stockholm and what have you. And then at the centre of it all, we've got the Rwanda policy. Mm. Uh, you know, now, Rwanda is not the answer. I mean, I don't think anybody thinks Rwanda is the answer. It's wrong in principle because it removes people uh, before their cases have been heard. It is unbelievably expensive uh, it is a drop in the ocean compared to the scale of the problem, and currently it's still held up in the courts. All of a sudden this week, I see Ascension Island has popped up again yes. as a potential. Mm. Well, you know, it, I mean, it's like Nosferatu of like you know asylum policy. It keeps on popping up. The reason it pops up and then goes away again is because if you think Rwanda is unworkable and expensive, Ascension Island, you know, uh, is going to hold my beer alternative. <laughs> it's just it is a ridiculous, utterly unworkable. Uh, problem. So we need a controlled, workable, humane system, but one that upholds British values uh, and sets out our international obligations to protect refugees. Mm. So 
A number of things that have been suggested both by Policy Exchange and British Future that seem to make far more sense to me than anything that I'm hearing coming out of a government minister's mouth at the moment. <laughs> First thing is, you know, what have we heard this day today? Today we've heard that between 2016 and 2023, the number of civil servants has grown by 100,000, right? 100,000. So British Future suggests setting up a kind of task force to clear this backlog. So you have a triage, and this makes a lot of sense to me. So I don't, I don't know if you recall a while back we spoke about, I think it was under Boris Johnson's government, um, they effectively rubber-stamped uh, a group of asylum applications because, you know, 95% of them historically would be agreed anyway. Yeah. So if you've got a, you know, if you've got a country and, you know, women and children from a conflict country where your statistics will show you that, that almost all of those are legitimate claims, why on earth don't you fast track those and get those approved, mm -hmm. right? It's happened under Boris Johnson, the sky didn't fall in. <laughs> Um, and it seems to me a madness that if you've got all the data around countries, you can fast track a group of uh, a group of asylum applications pretty damn quickly, in effect, by rubber stamping them. Then they can go on and work um, and become uh, active, uh, valued and hopefully welcomed members uh, of the communities in which they live. So British Future suggests, you know, Hiring, you know, a thousand extra workers to eliminate this backlog. I said, look, if you did four, if these thousand extra workers did four cases a week, mm -hmm. doesn't sound very much to me. Uh, that backlog would be cleared in six months, and that would cost sixty million, which would wipe out, you know, which would pay for itself in a fortnight. Well, yeah, that's, the, co that's the cost of like twelve days of hotel accommodation. Basically, yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. I look at the the story today about the number of civil servants we've got now. You don't need to hire outside people. We have 100,000 extra civil servants doing I don't know what. You know, and when I worked in um, uh, government, I saw, you know, firsthand when, when, you know, when a government wants to mobilise around a, a crisis and really have political will behind it and really mobilise, it can set up any number of systems. I mean, I think, thanks in part to our, our, our Brexit deal, uh, which was a little unpopular, you may recall. I do recall, um, yeah. No, I, think we stood, <laughs> I think we stood up and stood down like emergency no-deal prep, you know, civil service teams right across Whitehall. Mm. I think we did it three times. We stood them up, they got everything ready, we stood them down again. We stood them up, we stood them down again. Look at what the civil service achieved during covid yeah. I mean, remarkable and extraordinary uh, focus of will. And what do we have now? We have 100,000 extra civil servants uh, who, uh, by large in part, were, were born out of two crises, one around Brexit and one around COVID. Um, why on earth, <laughs> why on earth aren't we employing, you know, 10,000 of those mm. uh, to clear our backlog? Yeah. I don't, you know, it is, it is utterly baffling to me that we've got a government, you know, bibbling around with this, that and the other. Uh, we've got a massive civil service uh, and a huge crisis on our hands and nobody seems to be going, OK, let's put these two things together and sort this out. There is a, you know, and then have a huge... So once you've cleared the backlog and you've put those that have failed in detention centres, then you have a huge drive about voluntary... 
and enforced uh, return. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not saying well, it's really that simple, but there seems to be a missing piece in the puzzle here, which is that that real civil service uh, Whitehall drive to tackle what is self-evidently becoming a pretty unsustainable um, uh, crisis by any measure, you know, both in terms of the legitimate asylum seekers for their benefit that are, you know, that are here sitting around in hotels, for social cohesion, which is, you know, extremely exacerbated by uh, by having people sitting around in hotels doing nothing. Um, and then, you know, to, to hopefully to squeeze out this, you know, this evil, awful trade in, in people coming over on boats because if they know we've got a legitimate system that actually works rather than a dysfunctional mess, you know, maybe that would have the greatest impact of all in stopping people coming over. That was an extremely long uh, <laughs> rant, but I just, you know, it's just sort of fiddling while Rome burns kind of stuff this yeah. whole boats week for me. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We are so pleased that Whitehall Sources is your favourite podcast. Thank you for finding us. Our favourite hotel is The Resident, who have hotels in London and Liverpool. Don't just take our word for it, though, as trustworthy as sources as we might be. Take this review from Louisa from just a few weeks ago in January. She stayed in Covent Garden and said, Great location. Room was so comfortable and clean. Shower was the best we had Mm. during our month in Europe. Close to shopping and restaurants and multiple tube stations too. Covent Garden is the perfect area to stay. And let's double source this, shall we? Because East Coast Will stayed at the resident in February and said, Don't hesitate to book your stay here, especially if you plan to attend theatre events. It's a quiet, restful oasis. A relaxed enclave even in a very busy city. We are excited to return. So why not come to London, listen to Whitehall sources on the way, and stay at The Resident for the full London experience. You can book your stay in The Resident in London or Liverpool. Just click residenthotels.com. One of the things that struck me about the Bibby Stockholm, for example, is it dominated. It's August. It's an interesting story. You know, it's kind of it's it's really intriguing for any number of reasons. And we talked about it a lot on the radio on Monday. But it's five hundred capacity. If when that becomes when it when it fills up, 
That means it's housing fewer than 1% of the 51,000 asylum seekers who are currently in taxpayer-funded hotels. And I say that just to highlight what, you, what your, your point there was, or one of the points there was, Kirsty, about the, this kind of nibbling around the edges. So there's that bit, first of all. Ascension Island, yes, come and gone. And, you know, it's just kind of a barmy thing to, to get on a front page. Then we've got um, uh, the lawyer's announcement. I was speaking to the Conservative MP Sir John Hayes yesterday on the radio, and um, I was kind of putting to him, look, the stats on this suggest actually that you're kind of barking up the wrong tree. There were seven lawyers in 2021 who were prosecuted for uh, malpractice. There were five in 2022. So I was kind of saying to him, look, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence that there are loads of lawyers who are doing this wrong? And his point was kind of, well, you know, you might get law firms who specialise in asylum claims and we've just not kind of discovered the malpractice yet and that's what this task force is all about. But the Law Society for England and Wales were telling us that actually the systems are in place, they do have really strict standards and you already face life imprisonment as a solicitor if you do this wrong, if you deliberately falsify or fraudulently put through these asylum claims. And so there was that as well. And then we've got Lee Anderson, deputy chairman of the Conservative Party, in in the midst of all of this, saying that if asylum seekers don't like the barge, well, then they can F off back to France, which is, you know, high thought at its best, isn't it? What, what an intelligent and constructive thing for the deputy chairman of the Conservative Party to say. Oh, I mean, <laughs> this is, I, I worry about a government that has a deputy chairman, you know, of of the of the ruling party that thinks that that is a uh, acceptable uh, response uh, to a scale of crisis which is um, you know which has happened on the watch of of the Conservative government you know um, it is uh, if I'm going to be kind, it is uh, unhelpful. If I'm not going to be kind, it's just pathetic. I'm sorry, but it, it's the sort of response I'd expect from some, you know, redneck in a pub that's had five jars too many, right? I do, you know, um, uh, and it's embarrassing. And frankly, the Conservative Party should be ashamed. Uh, they weren't, though. Of, they came out and defended uh, it, didn't they? That. Alex Chalk was... Said, oh, look, OK. Just a yeah. secretary said he was on board with it, really. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and here is the the underlying worry about this for all of for all of this for me, right? You know, it, the guy's entitled to free speech, right? I'm entitled to say that, you know, I think that with my free speech that I think that is a uh, idiotic and unbelievably unhelpful thing to say. Um, but it what it signifies to me is because this government is trying to face two ways, if you like, in the run-up to an election, uh, there is a natural uh, political uh, end point for me with this kind of um, with this kind of direction of travel around, uh, you know, illegal migration and asylum seekers, and that is about um, pulling us out of the Convention on Human Rights. There is. You know, the, the natural consequence of all your failure um, to do stuff, uh, you know, to create a system that works with, you know, Rwanda, etc. The natural consequence of that 
is for those within your own party who want to to push to say, oh, well, we've tried doing it within the rules, but, you know, uh, they don't work because we get challenged in the courts, we get, you know, run, run you know, a merry dance by, you know, left-wing lawyers, yada, yada, yada. You know, what we really need to do is derogate from, from our obligations and pull out, and then we'll be able to determine our own policy. Um, and, you know... <laughs> Britain talks a lot about the importance of the international rule-based uh, order. Uh, and the reason it talks a lot about that is because, you know, we are uh, increasingly seeing a world where, you know, liberal democracies need to bind together against uh, state actors that don't uh, abide by the international rule-based order. You know, your Russia's, China, Iran. Um and if you end up in a situation where your party, because of political gain, uh, wants to push in a direction where you you choose, <laughs> mm. uh, you choose to uh, abdicate your responsibility uh, uh, and your own value system, uh, you know that is a that is a very sort of dark day. Um, I think for for our country and our democracy, and it hasn't happened yet. And Rishi Sunak has been very clear that he has no plans to. But there is, you know, again and again and again, this gives sucker to the to the you know that to the right within the Conservative mm. Party to say, right, we've tried it your way, it's not worked. You know, we need to come out, we need to derogate, and we need to you know we need to be able to do what we need to do to keep our you know our borders safe. Yada yada yada. Yeah. Uh, rather than actually look at the bigger systemic problem and sort it out, which you know seems to be not beyond the wit of the civil service to manage. Yeah. Just to follow up on the lawyers stuff as well, and this is the kind of real life consequence of these sorts of things. The Mail has um, quotes today from several Tory MPs attacking the Law Society for attacking ministers for attacking so-called crooked law firms, um, which is neatly summed up in Politico's playbook today. And then I also clocked The Guardian has a story today from a lawyer who said that she had to, she's had to review her security after being named in a Tory media briefing, um, was sent an ominous email. This is Jackie McKenzie, Jacqueline McKenzie, who I also spoke to on the radio this week, actually. Um, but she said that she's had to take precautions after receiving an email at work after uh, critical articles. She's the head of immigration at Lee Day, she said a briefing that had been sent to the Telegraph, the Mail, the Sun and the Express by party officials, Tory party officials, was underpinned by racism and misogyny. It was inaccurate and calculated to whip up ill feeling. So she's been writing for The Guardian today, describing it as a hit job. And I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm highlighting that to emphasise this sort of language and the sort of really quite harsh rhetoric. And I don't mean that to take an opinion. I just mean the crass nature of what Lee Anderson said. It does have consequences. It really, really does. And people have to sort of be aware of that, I think, in these um, high-pressure and intense conversations um, in a week like Stop the Boats Week as well. It's, it's serious stuff. It's serious stuff, and it's not to be played with. Uh, no, it's not to be played with. And uh, it's, you know... Look, if I thought that this was people's, like, legitimate view... You know, I mean, like I would disagree with it, but at least I think it was coming from a uh, a kind of you know a credible position. But you know, this is vote chasing, mm. um, and that's what you know that that's what that's what makes this really problematic for me. Uh, you are uh, chipping away at social cohesion 
um, and uh, creating kind of straw man enemies uh, to, to chase votes. Yeah. Um, and... You know, that's not that's not what the business of government should be about. And just to add to that, on Channel Four, you know, I know, Sorry, I know, I, I know, I sound pompous, but you know, I know I sound pompous about this, but you know, Theresa May, when she was in office and I worked worked with her, she talked a lot about the importance of you know politicians being very mindful of what they say uh, in the course of 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 public discourse, very mindful of it. Um, because, you know, not least because politicians themselves are frequently the targets uh, of, you know, this kind of whipped-up, polarised public debate that we have. You know, the very last thing that anybody in official position of the, you know, the ruling party should be doing is cheapening public discourse uh, in the way that Lee Anderson has done. It is, you know, it (laughs) it is bad enough out there on social media... Uh, without people of official positions actually uh, fanning the flames of it. Um, You know, not least because their own colleagues, you know, other professional people who, you know, are trying to do their jobs uh, are put in the firing line. And, you know, it is not, you know, it's not just about, you know, getting a bit of abuse on social media, although that is bad enough. Yeah. Um, uh, but but it's also in, in you know potentially putting people in in harm's way. Just to add to that, then um, time for a little refresh of the scores on the doors. This I saw on Channel Four News last night on Tuesday night. Uh, new polling that they got exclusively shows a Labour landslide victory with around four hundred and sixty seats, and the Conservatives reduced to ninety seats if there were to be an imminent general election. The polls by Find Out Now UK and Electoral Calculus. That is, those are staggering, (laughs) staggering numbers. 460 seats for Labour, Conservatives reduced to 90. That is if there was an imminent general election, which obviously there isn't uh, next year sometime, towards the end of the year probably. But that puts into context what you're saying there about vote chasing. Um, That's the kind of uphill, uphill struggle that the Conservatives consider themselves to be facing. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I say, this is this is you know core base stuff, isn't it? Mm. Um, you know, uh, all this kind of rhetoric, all this kind of uh, language, just increasingly to me sounds like um, shoring up core base um, and making sure that you know uh, you know it's not complete annihilation territory. But you know, the more you push on that, the more you alienate you know centrist voters. Um, uh, you know, and you know, <laughs> what price holding on to you know some red wall seats if you you know you lose the, the blue wall down south, mm. uh, or you know to the southwest to the Liberal Democrats. Um, you know, most people in life uh, are pretty centrist. Uh, most people in life want to see a controlled, robust, uh, but fair and humane asylum seeking uh, asylum system. Uh, you know, and the silent majority of of Britain is just that. It's not, you know, if uh, if Britain isn't Twitter, as I said before, it's it's not talk TV either. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, uh, and it's certainly not the Conservative Party membership. Uh, that's a very very particular view, even of Conservatives. Um, and yeah, I just uh, yeah, I find all this stuff quite troublesome. You know, 
for me, it's, it, it, it makes me feel very uncomfortable. Uh, and like I say, I think people should be very mindful uh, in positions of power and responsibility about what they say, um, because there's plenty of people out there that listen. So that is Stop the Boats Week. Uh, it's only Wednesday, so goodness knows what we'll have tomorrow um, by way of announcements or otherwise. Uh, what other cheery things can we talk about this week? I'm basically busy with um, with radio and podcasts this week. So have you got any anything else to report as we conclude this week's podcast, Kirsty? Um, uh, not really. It's a bit low key. Did a bit of radio last week, but I've got no other. Well, what radio no were other you up gigs to? at the oh, moment? Ti- were you on Times Radio um, actually the other day? I think you were. I was. I, I, I was. Of course, I was on Times only for Times. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I did a news review with Henry Bonsu yes. and uh, Anne McElvoy. Um, and somebody asked me a really complicated question that I couldn't oh, no. answer. <laughs> Oh, well. That's don't ask me questions about, you know, the economy. I don't know. I'm not an economist. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, it's very and unusual. And mercifully rode to my rescue on that one. Very unusual for you to have a question you can't answer, so um, shout out to Anne. Oh, look, politics I can do and comms I can do, but the economy, like, you know, forget it. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I've got, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a basic bitch understanding of the economy, but that's it. Uh, but Anne... And mercifully rode to my rescue on that one because she's, uh, you know, much smarter than I am and, uh, yeah, spared my blushes a bit. That's so funny. Um, so that was, that was mildly embarrassing. Um, <laughs> well, well done anyway. Uh, yeah, but then... Uh, styling it out. Uh, I tried. Uh, I, I don't think I was convincing anybody. Um, and then obviously on Saturday I shall be uh, cheering on the Lionesses. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Who, Frank, frankly, we're extremely lucky to get through. Let's be honest. I've really felt for Nigeria. Yeah. Um, but you know, but we're through. They showed grit. They didn't give up. And uh, who knew we had an England team that could win at penalties? Oh, well, yeah, exactly. That, that's the absolute learning learning curve. Uh, right. Good. Well, thanks very much, Kirsty. Good to chat. Good to catch up. Stop the boats week is dominating this week. Um, lots more from me on Times Radio this week. Just a little plug. I'm doing the drive program, five p.m. till eight p.m. Wednesday and Thursday, depending on when you're listening to this. And then back to breakfast with Chloe, uh, which I'm very, very excited about. I have to say, when you're used to having somebody with you, like in this context, and you look across the studio and you see an empty seat, it is very, very disorientating, I have to say. Uh, anyway, back on breakfast on well, I'm not, I'm not blowing. Sm- I'm not blowing smoke, Callum. I think you're doing a wonderful oh, job God. on drive time. No, it's no. excellent. We'll leave that in. That's not being edited out. <laughs> thank you very much, though, Chris. That's very kind. Uh, thank you for listening. Thanks for being with us on Whitehall Source. Uh, we are still with you throughout recess because there's still things to talk about whether it's Stop the Boats Week I wonder what next week's theme will be Um, your guess is as good as ours if you've got suggestions on a themed week for the government then email us hello at whitehallsources.com and we'll see if any of your predictions come true Uh, thank you make sure you follow and subscribe and we will talk to you again next week This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.